everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Solving Problems with Technology on HXGN Radio. I'm your host, Josh Cranfill. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important pieces of a digital transformation, which is gathering requirements. Um, in this episode, I'm speaking with JD Martin, JD's VP and partner at Corbin's Electric, Nate Unruh, uh, who is a business solutions manager at Knox Innovations. And um, and Jeff Wakefield, our continuous improvement ex- expert here at uh, Hexagon Exalt Solutions. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, guys. I'm looking forward today to today's topics. I think we're we're in a very surgical and let's say useful topic in digital transformation. And I think this is something that people do wrong a lot. Um, is okay. We want to deliver a new workflow, a digital um you know a, a small discrete digital transformation how do we figure out what to do how do we figure out how do we prioritize how do we gather requirements from the right people and so forth um oftentimes and i've been through many 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 projects where somebody gets an idea you know you realize that a business process is broken you want to go fix it how do you get there? You know, we at Exalt, we like to to do a lot of process mapping and figuring out current state and, you know, ideal f- future state so that we know what problems we're solving and how to attack those through integrations and automations and notifications and workflow and so forth. Um, but we've also seen over the years, uh, certainly customers or rivals or whomever else um, skip past this step of gathering requirements and just sort of going for it, you know, start building the plane on the runway, as it were. Yeah, um, so we figured out that's not the way. So I'd like to kind of just start with you guys, because I think you're the quintessential example of how to do this well. Um, so just to start it out, the topic is gathering requirements. So what's your process? Um, who collects the data? Who's involved in the step? And, and some pit, pitfalls to, to avoid. So that's a, the basic topic. Um, and so we'll just start with this piece. How do you identify a process that has waste and could be better? What's your process there to get people together and so forth? Yeah, I want to I want to reinforce what you said, Josh, is that uh, of all the people that we have um, that we've helped our, you know, some of our 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 peers in the industry, um, some people that I've met, you know, through Exalt, um, this is the one, you know, <laughs> Knowing that you need to um, digitalize, you know, building on our from our last uh, topic um, that we did, uh, building on digitalization uh, and or digital transformation, people realize they're like, oh, we we need to be in the 21st century. You know, we we need to have digital workflows, and um, th- that's kind of a no-brainer, regardless of the platform. They're like, yeah, we need we need this thing. Um, where we've seen the biggest failure point is in the requirements gathering process. Um, I'll give you some some anecdotal stuff. Like so, um, some contractors that we know, they they the the one pushing for the digital transformation or a new platform to solve a one problem, um, they they might be able to get that one problem a solution through through a through a platform that they're trying to implement or promote. Um, but then beyond that, the failure point, it goes high because it, they're, 
they, they're not going through the right steps. And this is a case of like, they don't know what they don't know. And you kind of have had to have gone through an iterative process to refine it. And we've done that. So that's why we want to share it here. We don't want anybody to have to reinvent the wheel. Um, if they can get success, you know, learning from our failures, that's great. We just happen to also learn along the way and we didn't give up and we got really good at it. But uh, yeah, gathering requirements the right way um, with the right people, with the right stakeholders, prioritizing, prioritizing your projects so that you're, you're building the things you're going to have a, the, the most impact on your business. I mean, those are all things uh, that need to come into consideration. So basically what we're going to talk about today is like, yeah, how do we systematically, how do we break those down? How do we learn from other people like maybe Corwin's electric on, uh, Hey, what, what, what did you do that worked well? What did you do that didn't work well? Because uh, we certainly have those. We have, we have both, you know, we've been living, you know, if this is a spectrum of like, Hey, here's all the stuff that went really well. And here's the stuff that didn't. we've, we we're constantly swinging back and forth, trying to find, you know, a good, a good spot um in our processes we think we have one now so yeah one of the things uh to answer your question josh uh well we'll, we'll get a conversation going i guess is um how do we uh i i even identify okay we're a company we have we we realize we have some some processes we want to put in place um whether we have a platform or we don't we go okay now what are we going to go work on first, right? Usually, and this is what happened to us, the thing we decided to work on first was the thing that was causing us the most pain, right? And by pain, what I mean is um, uh, we had processes in an organization that were um, uh, causing a lot of rework or created a lot of paperwork or consumed a lot of people's time. And to, to do that. Now we were looking at those things because we were looking at a point where we we're we were about to scale up, right? We we're about to go from $28 million electrical contractor to you know 40, maybe 50. Um, and we knew that um, human beings were going to be a, a constrained resource for us. So we were we wanted to automate some things that a lot of human beings were doing. We wanted to automate those workflows. Um, we wanted to check for errors, you know, validate data, you know, all of these things, which we'll get into, like how we gather that stuff. But that's where we started. You start with, this really actually goes back even before we found Exalt. Um, we were, we did a group book study on um, Two Second Lean by Paul Akers. And for anybody who hasn't heard that, I mean, if you're in the construction space or, or, you know, manufacturing space, you've probably heard of this in some time in the last 10 years, but really simple read. Um, uh, it's like 75 pages and, you know, big type and pictures. And, but anyway, we did this book study two second lean because it is just about process improvement, continuous improvement. And, uh, we took a lot of things out of that. Um, and we said, yeah, this is a good mindset. This is just a good general mindset to have. We promoted it within our company, you know, dozens and dozens of people read it um, and started implementing, you know, small little things that they can control. Maybe not two second lean, like they didn't necessarily take it literally and try to improve their process by two seconds. It was all about continuous improvement. Hey, is there a better way of doing this thing, right? 
Um, the other thing we took out of that was also knocking down the silos. You know, we had departments working in these silos um, and they only cared about, you know, the, the work that was right in front of them and they didn't really care about, uh, you know, where it came from upstream and who needed that information once I'm done with it, who needs it downstream. Um, so it got us thinking about a lot of things. And this is just like a, 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 another iterative process out of that continuous improvement. He had, okay, now we have a platform, we can do digital workflows. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's start. What are we going to work on first? So, so even before that, what I'm hearing you say is it was, it was philosophical first. It was, it was sort of a cultural like, okay, we're here together with the senior leadership team or whomever. Um, and we've decided we recognize, maybe we can't put our finger on, on the, the most important one first, but we recognize that philosophically we have a problem. There's rework happening. There's probably a little bit too much administrative overhead, stuff like that. So it's philosophical before it's tactical, right? 100%. Yeah. It, it's a, it's, it's a mindset. It's a, um, yeah, philosophy um, that we have to be bought in for. And to take it one step further, one really important thing about implementing anything new in your company is is buy-in, right? Buy-in from the the right people at the right levels, and you know, a, a kind of a top-down uh, approach to that. But um, that can that can get sideways on you too, because you could get um, quote-unquote permission from your CEO or CFO to go explore this thing. And permission to go do something is completely different from um, a, having a champion at that level who's also promoting it, right? And saying, hey, guys, here's a thing, you know, looking around at all the leaders going, here's a thing we're going to do because we think this is going to, you know, X, Y, and Z help our business. Uh, and I want you guys uh, bought in and, you know, it could be like, hey, so-and-so's taking point, uh, you know. JD's taking point, Nate's taking point. So they're going to be around and talk to you about, uh, you know, the, the process and how we're going to do, you know, it may not be the CEO being the tip of the spear, but what they're doing is laying the groundwork to be able to go get things done. We certainly didn't, um, I mean, beyond permission, we certainly had um, a top-down approach of like fully bought in, you know, mindset. It wasn't like a little side project. Oh, hey, you guys, we're going to go, create some workflows around, you know, time card collection and material requisitions. And, you know, if it works out great and, you know, we'll try it and see if it works out. And like, eh. No, we had like a really, you know, bought in from the top going, Hey guys, this is something we think is going to change our business. Uh, so get on board. So, right. So if I may take a slight rabbit trail, what is the difference between your culture and your decisions and some of these other companies, because there's still an addiction in the industry, in construction, I would say, especially, um, where you want to go buy a software that does a certain thing that says, okay, now I go buy a tool tracker. And the inherent problem with this is you buy a document management system and a tool tracker and a, you know, a timesheet deal and everything else. And then you've got a whole bunch of systems that are difficult to talk to one another. Um, and they kind of require you to conform to them rather than them conforming to you. So there, it becomes sort of a diminishing returns the more you get. What changes you from 
from that philosophy, which I would say is prevalent today in the industry, to we're going to take ownership of this and make sure uh, we squeeze this orange for all that that we can get out of it. Yeah, I, I think um, honestly, I think that you know, skipping ahead a little bit on kind of um, right past the prioritization point, right? It comes down to really defining your problem is really what it comes down to, right? Are you trying to solve a specific like i just need to track my tools right i'm going to get a tool tracker or am i just trying to solve this or are you trying to solve interdepartment um communication or are you trying to solve that right and a lot of that comes down to that decision is are you trying to do a kind of full tra- transformation or are you trying to solve one or two problems with a specific tool right and again for different companies that's going to mean different things right uh are you looking at a specific problem and is that solvable at a with a single solution but you don't really know that without really going down and getting to the root cause of the problem part of the prioritization of what we want to tackle first right comes down to uh jd already started a little bit of it but aligning that with the strategic objectives of the team right it's making sure they're bought in to the kind of focus of what we're trying to do and if the purpose is we're just trying to solve one or two logistic problems that can be solved by some kind of ad hoc software that solves a specific scenario but if you're really trying to optimize every piece of your business include communication from here on out continuously improve that's when you need to look at a solution that's a little more advanced in terms of being able to pivot quicker for some of those environments and being able to solve there uh and a lot of times it's a little bit harder to kind of see that that future in terms of those needs uh but as jd said it really comes down to what does your culture look like is that continuous improvement involved in everything or is this like a project that's going to come up every one or two years for a big ticket item Uh, that's really where we've seen a lot of the differences in terms of the attitude and the approach towards kind of ad hoc versus process yeah and i think from our our perspective uh culturally yeah there are softwares out out there that solve um that may solve a, a very specific problem that you have um and that we did that we we went through we were actively searching for uh solutions and for some of our most basic you know project management uh, needs you know time card collection material requisitions you know things like that just general project management software and there were tools out there that solve those needs and i'm not opposed to you know having a single solution if it really does solve your problem what we realized though when we were going through all these demos is like not not all of them solved all of our issues not it not not one any single one of those solved a comprehensive problem that we had it may have it may have solved 75 percent of a thing but what we weren't willing to do is settle for that that can solution for something that didn't meet our needs and meet our current needs and we are looking for scalability. Hey, does this break at scale? Because we knew we were in a growth pattern, right? Does it break? Do, uh, are we able to be consistent with it? And then beyond that, there's other things that we we're looking at, like, do I really want to manage uh, 12 different software solutions? You know, because there, and then there's a burden on IT for administrating 
you know, passwords and resets and, and licenses and, you know, and now every single one of those different solutions um, acts differently and, and uh, has different backend and may produce different data and, you know, bringing all of those things together. In fact, there, there are contractors that we know, our peer group members, who've already gone down the road and really dug in on very specific um, solution needs that solve very specific problems. They could have, you know, 10 of them, let's say. Um, and then what they're seeing a couple of years down the road, like now, is that they don't have a way of bringing all of these disparate systems together comprehensively to be able to, you know, look at data or manipulate the data. Um, and I still, I still promote, because I still think Exalt is the best solution for that, uh, is being able to talk to all of their disparate systems that don't naturally talk to each other. And I know a lot of them are like, yeah, we have APIs, but we all know that that's, you know, anybody who's had to deal with APIs, you know, for a can license solution, um, it, it, it could be very, very limiting. Uh, they could be really restrictive on what you're allowed to go get or write to, you know, their databases. So anyway, culturally, that's what we're looking for is like, hey, does this does this solve our problems? You know, that's just that's not a um, that's not it can't be the only thing you're looking for. Hey, does this help with scale? Hey, what is the user experience going to be? I know we're going to talk about like user adoption and some other topics later on. But like a if it's not a if it's not a good user experience then it will fail, right? If it doesn't give you all the data that you need, it will fail, whether you kill it or it, gets, or it dies out on its own or the users refuse to use it. Um, so there's a lot of things to look at. Good. All right, moving back to kind of tactical, um, once you have the philosophy, philosophy figured out, you have your, your tool figured out and everything, um, and that top-down buy-in, how do you identify a process that wastes, you know, that has waste and how could it be better? And what I mean is very specifically, especially if, and this is actually births a few more questions, but if you have many, right? And I'm sure by now you have suggestion boxes and people, once you do a couple of these, people say, oh, I know what, you know, what I'd like to have in my department, right? So if you have many, how do you select the right one to work on next? Um, and and how, if anything, how do you gather those ideas from the field? Because not all of them are going to come from you. Yeah, right. Because you're true. removed from from people installing conduit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you? How does that work? Yeah, I'll talk about that, and I'll 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 uh, turn the my time over to Nate because he can really get into the nitty gritty on this. But like from conception. Um, yeah, at first, when we started rolling out a couple different workflows that were proven to be successful, that were solving problems that the users liked, um, and it was helping our business, the the question turned from like, well, what are we, what are we going to build and exalt beyond these two problems that we have, right? That it transitioned to what aren't we going to build? They're like, oh man, if that can solve that problem, what else can it do? And what that did is we had a floodgate of people. Uh, stopping by my office going, I have an idea for a thing, right? And I would hear them out. And that solution may have, uh, may only help that one individual with this one type of customer, you know, this one time of year, right? And you go, oh, okay, well, you know, good idea. You don't want to discourage them, but uh, 
because they may have other good ideas, right? So you don't want to shut them down, but you also have to let them down gently go, okay, well, what we're trying to solve is like, you know, these bigger issues. And um, so we actually don't, Josh, we don't have a suggestion box per se. Um, what we do is we actually run ideas. If somebody does stop in with an idea or, or email one or text one, we politely uh, nudge them to their, um, you know, their operational leaders of the business, right? Because it, there's more, there's more to the discussion, right? Because you can't just go look at a thing that one person has and go, oh, we're going to solve that one problem. You have to look at what's upstream, what's downstream. You know, there's other discussions happening about maybe similar workflows in our business or other things that might be integrated in that, that, that particular requester doesn't have um, information on. But one of the tools that we use in order to kind of vet ideas, we we have a requirements gathering like a triage thing, which Nate will talk about. But let's say we get a bunch of ideas and they're all good on, you know, on topic. We go, oh, we need a time card solution. Oh, we need a, a customer relationship manager. Um, we need a, um, a shipping calendar. Uh, you know, just think about it. We need a T-shirt size collector. And you go, okay, cool. Those are all great ideas and they'll all, you know, they pitch their reasons why it would help the business. We do a, um, uh, I kind of talked about this on the, on our last podcast, but like a simple matrix, like a impact versus effort matrix, right? And it is impact, just to get a little more details from our last topic, impact could be, what is, what is the impact on our business? Is it gonna, is it gonna help us uh, financially? Um, is it going to increase uh, speed of a line of service that we do? Is it going to, um, remove the noise or clutter for um, individuals in our business so they can go focus on other value-added services. Uh, so that's what we're talking about on impact. Effort, effort could be, okay, how many, how, how much is this going to cost? And you could translate almost anything into a dollar, right? When you're talking about business time, sure. you know, human capital, um, third-party resources, hardware, software, and the list goes on, right? But that's effort. You can look at it lots of different ways. And we start taking these ideas and going, okay, just really rough idea. Um, what is this, what is a material requisition um, going to do for us? Where would you plot it, right, on this impact effort matrix? And we ended up plotting all the things, and then we kind of break it down and go, okay, if it's uh, high impact, low effort, Let's go work on those things first. That's quick wins. That's what we call quick wins, right? We should see a return on investment. Uh, it'll help a lot of people. It'll save money, whatever those impacts are. And then we go, okay, let's look at uh, uh, low impact, high effort. Those are things we're going to punt on, okay? We're going to go, oh, I'm not sure any of those will. Maybe after we built all the other things, maybe we'll go look at that list again, right? Right. Uh, low impact, low effort are things that um, we'll use as filler work. You know, we're, we're constantly juggling multiple projects at a time. We'll go use those low impact, low effort uh, as like filler kind of projects while we're in between um, bigger projects. And then the uh, high impact, high effort are things we got to go reprioritize again. We got to go look at those and go, ooh, okay, we know it's going to take a lot of time, money, effort, human capital, right? Um, but we know it's going to have a huge impact on our business. So we really have to plan those out. Okay. We have to plan the resources. We, what we don't want to do is hastily start one of those and realize we're not going to be able to see it to completion. 
So those are the things we 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 uh, look at again. Nate, what what do you want to add to that? Yeah, and on, on demand or is that on a monthly basis? When do you, how often do you do that? Yeah, so Nate and I constantly we have a we have a we have an ongoing meeting every, at least every month. We look at like the prioritization of all of our projects, um, but uh, it's it's on demand. It's kind of as things pop up. And honestly, sometimes we won't even we won't even entertain new ideas of um, projects because we have a backlog of really important projects. This is something that's really important that I want to drive home to. Nate is part of our executive leadership team. There's 19 people on this on this team uh, in our business, and they represent um, de department leaders or other uh, influential people in our business, decision makers. Uh, it's, it was really important that Nate was part of this executive team um, because he gets context to all of the other things that are happening in our business. And he can actually help direct or at, at minimum ask the right questions to extract the level of priority and knowing how the rest of the business is going, he can kind of know when to call BS, you know, uh, on things, or he might know that absolutely. Okay. I can see how this fits into the, our overarching, you know, uh, goals. Let me let, I'm going to executive, make an executive decision and kind of bump that up the list on, on prioritization, but Nate, so how does how does that go for you? Yeah, yeah, and I think you touched on a good part of it um, to provide a little more context on the impact and effort, right? Um, a lot of times that can be difficult uh, in dictating the impact, right? JD gave a couple examples of um, how we're able to do that, and the more practice you get at it, right, the better you get. But when we first started with identifying the impact of our on our business we really started with aligning that with the strategic objectives of what we were trying to go after right so if that was for this quarter we were really looking at our labor shortage and attracting more talent well then any projects that were sophisticated like uh focused on the hr talent acquisition side of things those would all of a sudden get a bump on the impact right when we're looking at um, number of people or anything like that. So this aligning that with the strategic objectives of your company not only allows you to really make a very quantitative and say, hey, this is really what we need to go work on. It aligns with the other things that we're doing in our business to go after that. Uh, but it also helps align the people that you need to get involved with it, right? When we're talking about buy-in, we'll talk about other things like that. But it, if everyone's working towards a strategic objective and your workflow that you're developing is also pointed towards that, it makes it a lot easier for other people to work with you on getting that information and pushing that across the finish line. Uh, so that's what we've really found in terms of the impact and the effort you'll learn depending on what, right, whatever software solution you're using, whatever, how you're designing, what that looks like, uh, that's really going to kind of ebb and flow as you learn, hey, how can we optimize our efforts on that and other things as it's built out? The last thing that I would say for the effort piece is how big and cross-departmental is. That's a really big point for us. Uh, if you see an a process that covers five or six different departments every time you add that second piece of you know hey where this is hr accounting field right whatever that looks like every time you add another piece of uh departments or whatever that looks like in your business it 
increases that complexity so much more and that effort ends up skyrocketing not because the solution itself might be more difficult to but it's really getting down to those requirements of hey what are the pain points for each sector and making sure we're aligning those and getting that all into one solution that's really where that effort starts to creep up and really get to a point where uh you're it's you know if it's still important we're still going to do it but just be aware it's going to be uh, a larger effort than you know a couple meetings here and there and getting getting going on something so in Which, prioritization i think aligning that with the objectives is really the the key okay. there and such was, there, was yeah. there ever a time that uh you you didn't get it right in terms of aligning the impact with the strategic ob objectives and and what did you learn when if you weren't doing it that way Oh, yeah, yeah I, Nate, talk about the CRM. <laughs> yeah, that was a recent one. We we re, we created our own customer relationship manager, guys. Going back to our previous topic, or that Josh just asked a little bit ago, was like um, we couldn't find a solution that met all of our needs for a CRM from an out of the box or even you know another platform. So we decided to spend the time, money, and effort to develop our own. And we recently launched at the beginning of this year, but that was a that was a long and arduous process. Nate, you want to dig into that and how that we had some false starts on that? <laughs> yeah. And I and I think it's a good kind of segue into like gathering requirements in the first place, right? Uh so real quick going back and uh the first thing that we do when we get a kind of big idea, right? So somebody says the you know, buzzwords, CRM, or anything else like that, right? The first thing we do is we run them through and we have them fill out our triage sheet. Right. And this will look different for whatever business you're in, whatever that looks like. But what that implies is it's just a couple questions that we ensure that the individual or the group of individuals that is coming up with this idea has really thought through what this looks like. It's not just an idea in their head of what that is. And sometimes if it comes back and there's not a lot, but we still deem it a good idea, we can still work with them on flushing that out. But a lot of times, We'll have individuals in our business say, hey, I've got this great idea, and that's all it is. It's an idea. We don't have, hey, what departments are involved, and what's the impact on the business, and how much uh, – you know, what is this, how is this going to move the needle on these objectives? And so that's really how we align it uh, with those objectives, making sure that we have that. Because a lot of times when you see those false starts, like we're talking about with the CRM, we were trying to solve a problem before we defined what the problem was, right? And that's really the, that's the, the number one point that you get to in requirements gathering, where you realize, hey, we're not actually solving a customer relation management, right? We're solving a estimating bid process, right? Or we're solving, um, you know, tracking our communication with our customers. There's a lot of different, I guess, ideas when you get this super cool high level idea of um, even it could be something super simple like tool tracking. Well, what are we actually trying to track in some of those softwares? So uh, again, really, starting with that initial questions of making sure that they're grounded in the business impact and kind of going back to some of those deciding factors really helps us align it and avoid some of those pitfalls uh, that we've seen, like JD mentioned, um, you know, we had a couple false starts there on what we wanted to do with the CRM and what that was supposed to be before continuing on. So. And one um, of the reasons, because it, it fell on the, on the impact effort matrix guys, it fell way up high impact, high effort for us. Right. And 
why was that high effort, Nate? Why, why did we rate that high effort? Uh, because it was going to touch every sector of our business, right? It was one of the things I talked about in terms of really pushing that effort off the off the graph there a little bit is it wasn't just our operations team that would be using it. It is our operations team, our estimating team, our um, – our vendor and our material groups were going to use it. Our safety group was going to use it, right? Everybody was going to be involved in this and everyone had different needs that came out of it. And so when you're talking about, you know, requirements gathering, uh, those are always going to be the hardest uh, just because one, you have a lot of different opinions in the room, right? But identifying what we're actually trying to solve uh, everyone's got a different opinion on it and getting down to what's really going to move it forward for the business and what's even, you know, if you try to tackle 10 different problems at once, you're never going to solve anything. So really narrowing it down and saying, Hey, even if we just solve this one problem, that's, you know, top of our list, let's start there and then continue forward. We almost always never, we almost always release kind of what we call kind of a phase one, phase two. And we group the features into those phase one, phase two, because the second you try to solve this huge problem at the same time, it never, never tends to work out. So, and I can go into more detail on kind of how we walk through that in the meetings if we want to as well. It's so important though, because it's something that we've kind of coined the term of, of we call it the Medusa which maybe we should find a friendlier term, but um, but how can you how can you tie, you know, strings to every part of the business where when something in one area falls out of an optimal state, that's going to affect another area. I don't know shipping and receiving versus the job site, right? How do you? What's the workflow to inform to even see that that's happening in the first place without making a phone call or you know sending up a smoke signal? But how can you build solutions? that very naturally serve each part of the business, but also notify the others, right? And and uh, and help the business run more cohesively. Um, so so practically in in what we were just talking about, like let's let's call it the CRM. Do you have your triage sheet? Do you do you send it separately to the different departments and then bring them all together in the same room? How do you map out the current state? What does that actually look like uh, in that situation? Yeah, perfect. Um, so there's a lot that goes into this. And honestly, uh, when we're talking about the scale of the problem, it will kind of adjust our approach a lot when we go down here. But there's kind of a couple key points that we always make sure to hit on. So the first one, as we said, that initial vetting process of the idea, and then that leads into the prioritization. So let's say we've now greenlit the idea. It is something we need to solve. Right. And at this point, we might not always have a great idea of what exactly it is. Right. It's, hey, we're trying to solve a um, right, a customer tracking, a customer communication problem. OK, we don't necessarily need to get super far down the road. If, if enough people say that moves the needle, let's go and take a look at that. That's really all that initial vetting process is looking at. Now, what we've done is the next step is identifying the stakeholders and saying, hey, who are the people that we need to get in the room that will be able to actually make the decisions on that? A lot of the times that's going to be um, people a little bit further upstream in terms of a little bit more of either managerial capacity or the individuals that are actually um, op 
you know, have the authority to make decisions. Because a lot of times if you get somebody in the room that is a product of a lot of these processes, they can identify some of the pain points, but they won't necessarily be able to see the big picture. Yeah, so there are a lot of the times, difference of like a power user versus like somebody who's responsible for a product. And sometimes right. they're the same people. That's actually super convenient because we can get them in the room and they could they could wear both hats. Sometimes they're not, right? And most oftentimes they're not. So we usually identify at least a couple key stakeholders in those processes, and they're in charge of going downstream and gathering that information. And the reason we do that is because we can't have 20, 30 people in the room. The second that number gets even above five or six, it starts getting out of control. Uh, we have opinions all on the wall. Nobody can decide on a single thing. Um, too many cooks in the kitchen, right? You'll hear that in kind of anything you do. Uh, that's really where it goes down there. So having key stakeholders who are in charge of gathering downstream information is the best way that we've found to make sure that we are actually moving forward and having the ability to uh, make decisions on processes without sacrificing the information downstream. So now, the first part of that process might be identifying the individuals that you need to do, and that actually might be a meeting or um, the place you need to start because a lot of times, and one of the things we faltered on first is we tried to solve a problem that we thought was siloed and didn't have a bunch of connections, but ended up really talking to five or six different departments. And we didn't find that until going a little bit down the road. And so starting with that and trying to open up uh, whoever you're working with and saying, hey, is there any upstream downstream here? Is there, right? Are you sending this up? Is this going out? Is this, you know, even if you're based in the office, is this relating to the field at any point? What does that look like and who's involved? Starting there really allows them to start thinking about the big picture in terms of, hey, this actually isn't just affecting me. This is affecting everybody downstream as we go along. Um, so that's kind of the first point is identifying the stakeholders, making sure you have the right people in the room, but that they also have done their due diligence in, uh, you know, going downstream and making sure that they have all the information they need there. The second thing is uh, really not trying to get the individual to craft up the technical solution themselves, right? Again, yeah, this one's um, super important. Yeah, yeah, it's right. I don't. We don't ever go into meetings and say, hey, like. If you could have an app that solves this problem, what would it look like? One, a lot of people are really uncomfortable with this question, right? I mean, they don't know what that is. They don't know what that looks like. Number two is they start drawing some thing in their mind, right? And you immediately are putting barriers around their solution um, instead of getting them to open up, which is really the, the key to the requirement gathering process. And so we usually start with kind of two you know, questionings that really help. The first one is going through a best case scenario, right? So, hey, we have this problem. What is the best case scenario for to finish it? We're not talking about an application. We're not talking about that, right? If that's, hey, my guy, my foreman in the field can fill out something on his iPad, he can ship it over, and then at any point he can check to see what the status of his order is. Or I'm out in having dinner with a customer and I need to log what I did. I need to be able to pull out my phone and log whatever that is, and then everybody in the company can see it on their dashboard the next morning. Okay, those are real best case scenarios that we can start dissecting and talking about and start driving through there, which is a lot more approachable for even individuals that aren't haven't done a lot of process mapping or requirements gathering, any of that, they're able to say, oh yeah, like I'm the subject matter expert. 
let me tell you what that would look like. And then we'll talk about some of the, the details and go from there. So sometimes starting at the end, whether that's, hey, what data do you need out of this process, right? Sometimes we start with as simple as that. Hey, if this is really just an information gathering process, what information do we need out of that? And let's back up into kind of what the gathering process looks like. Yeah, um, let me. But that's really piggy, key, yeah. Piggyback on that. So this goes back to an old, I don't know, everyone has, has heard this at one point, but like I go back a hundred years and, you know, Henry Ford, if he asked people what they wanted, they would say, well, I just need a faster horse, right? And he, yeah. he, when you when you ask people, so, so sometimes when we ask people like, oh, what do you want? They're they're kind of stuck within the limitations of their own uh, on their own uh, world view or past experiences or tools they've used in the past. For example, uh, somebody you know say, oh, we need to um, we need a, um, a pre-task plan, right? It's a, a pre-checklist for safety before we go do an activity. And you ask somebody. Oh, what do you want the pre-task plan to be, you know, in a in a, a digital you know platform or whatever solution? And the the way that they think about it is, oh, it needs to look like an eight and a half by eleven and it needs to have fillable boxes, right? Because that's the mindset. They they can't think beyond the thing that they've experienced. So that's like one of the things where it's like they're really limiting themselves you know, confining themselves. But if we ask them, okay, no, no, forget that. Just like, what would you, what would that look like for you? Then they also can't conceive that. So sometimes we have to like help guide them and we, you know, we can start a digital form or, or some pie in the sky idea. And this is really where the, you know, Nate's genius comes in is he helps refine and go, okay, so what does that look like? Okay. What does that look like? And then we go, oh, we get to a thing. We go, oh, that's not very useful. Okay. Let's back up and go, okay, what, what does this other thing look like then? Um, so anyway, that's a real, yeah. when you have somebody at like an executive level, try to do that, who this isn't part of their normal daily routine, um, it can get messy or yeah. the person in the room with the most authority starts making decisions completely. You know, it's not, it's not their area of expertise. Uh, they're not the user. They're not going to live with the consequences of these decisions, you know, or sometimes we have, uh, peers in the room. They all, we have, for example, we have four vice presidents of operation in our business. And one of them, uh, who shall rename, uh, rename uh, nameless, uh, is the loudest one in the room, okay? It's just because that's his personality. He's naturally, he's, he's loud, he talks a lot, and um, you know, we can't fall into the trap of like, oh, the person, the loudest person in the room gets their idea across just because they're, you know, the most influential or the most passionate about that thing doesn't mean that thing is the thing that needs to happen. Right. So having a moderator like Nate, who's he's independent of what the process is because his, his responsibility is to make that process uh, the most impactful with the best user experience. You know, he doesn't really care uh, whose idea wins out, but he's going to help you refine that, you know, as you go on. Yeah. Sounds and it sounds like Nate then then true user stories rather than any sort of solution design. And is there also a current state process map that makes its way into the requirements gathering? Yeah. So and that's a great right. So a couple things. Don't focus on the technology. Right. Really focus on the um, what we're trying to solve. And that's the other thing. Right. So I started. 
Um, my first suggestion was, hey, start at the end, right? Best case scenario, uh, start at the data side of things. What's the data outcomes of those? The next thing, right? Say that wasn't very successful. You didn't get a whole lot um, there. The next thing is to really focus on the pain points, right? What is painful about this process? Honestly, that's a really easy question to answer for anybody that's close to this. It's not, we're not asking them what's inefficient about the process. We're asking them what causes pain, right? Now that is the same question essentially, but it's a little bit more approachable in terms of, okay, when I'm thinking about what causes pain, that can be um, time spent on the process. That can be um, the output of the process causes pain. Um, that can be downstream, uh, aren't, they aren't getting what exactly we need. Upstream is not getting what we need, right? All kinds of different things that really allows us to really see the key problem. Again, a lot of times when we go into a lot of these meetings, we, we have right an idea, a problem statement that we're trying to solve. And the second we start dissecting it and breaking it apart, we, most of the time we, we pivot you know, we will still have the same core idea, but we end up pivoting to almost a completely different concept, right? This is called root cause analysis, right? It's that's kind of its general term, uh, but asking those questions and getting down to those, hey, what exactly uh, are we trying to solve here? Uh, that could be the hardest yeah. question when we go to start. Uh, this, is this goes back to the Paul Akers two second lean? It's basically really simply for those of you guys who have read that book. He just started asking his people, like, what bugs you? What yep. bugs you? Sometimes that what bugs you is the overarching process. So then we kind of break it down. You know, Nate goes and we goes, okay, yeah, about the data collection. What bugs you about the data collection, right? And we just kind of refine it that way. But, um, Nate, can you talk to Josh's question about the what kind of documentation do you guys collect during your uh, – do you, do you collect it? Do you store it? How useful is it when you start implementing, you know, the digital workflows? What's that like? And uh, what tools do you use? I, I think you use yeah. Visio because you've sent me a few of those. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of kind of, you know, the exact processes, you so first thing we do is um, identify, uh, it depends on kind of who we're working with. Some people are really comfortable with creating a process map that have been through this process before. Not a ton of people um, and a lot, of, especially when you're first starting some of this journey, that won't be as uh, approachable. But Somebody in your business should at least understand what a process map is and how that helps really clarify what we're talking about. You could talk all the time about, hey, this moves from information to information. But again, if you have a process that starts jumping from department to department and each person has specific roles, it becomes very difficult very quick when you don't have a way to visually see and confirm, hey, this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking the same language here. So we do always either get get a process map from the individual that owns that and start there. Or we usually what we do is through that first kind of finding your root cause analysis and understanding and starting with, hey, this is where we're at current state. And then this is where we need to end up to be. And a lot of times that end up process uh, is really just circling a couple things on that current state and saying, hey, this is this is our pain. 
right? And it's just another way to visibly see what we can either talk about um, by some of those leading questions or by visually seeing some of that. And yeah, so we use Visio. Um, there's a ton of other software out there in terms of creating those types of docu documents, but however you're doing it, visualizing, hey, is this a data transformation? Is this a people involved individual, right? We always talk about the funny kind of whenever somebody tries to put a name on a workflow uh, mapping, we always erase that and right, or that's always the gap is, hey, well, Susan is the one that processes these things. It's like, well, what, what's so special about Susan? Well, she's the only one that knows, right? We call it tribal knowledge. You can call it whatever you want, but that is the items that really causes a workflow to fail is if there is a single stop gap or if it's something, what that usually means is that's something we don't fully understand. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, Susan does a thing. We just don't know what that thing is. So we're just going to put Susan's name in as the step in the map. Yeah. Um, do you ever, so it sounds like you guys have gotten pretty good at this. Do you ever have to go back to the well and say, all right, we think we have it figured out. And then you get the stakeholders together again and just kind of confirm, like, this is our understanding of the current state. This is our understanding and what we're going to go attack. Our next episode will be about solution design. So, okay, you have the requirements now. How are you going to go design the solution? What are your tools? What are your processes and so forth? A lot of that is kind of covered in this requirements gathering, but there's some, you know, crossing of T's and, and dotting of I's that we certainly, we find a lot of value in solution design and so forth. And we'll go through solution design validation and all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have to go... Last, you know, maybe question or two. One of them is, do you ever have to go back to the well with the stakeholders uh, and do it again? Oh, yeah. I mean, so one of the things I was talking about, right, I, there's a lot of different ways to approach um, each of these things. And what you start getting good at as you do this very often is you know which approach to use based on the people that you're talking to. So whether it's best case scenario, right, asking the pain points, if somebody's very technical, usually, usually those workflow diagrams are the best way to get across kind of, hey, look at this, right, if you're talking to an engineering type or anything like that, that's a good way to do it. Sometimes, sometimes that still Nate, doesn't work. <laughs> some, sometimes Nate has to like observe it, like, you know, yeah. he has to physically sit with him. Accounting was a good, great example of this, right? Because it was it was hard to to for them to uh, write out in a document, or even they did their best to map their process. You know, like a uh, setting up a new customer process. But uh, there's so many is so involved. Um, even though Nate had the document, he had to sit with them and really experience the thing that they're uh, you know going through as a pain point. It's like another layer of like validating some of the things that they were saying. Not that he didn't believe them, just added some value for him, right? Right, and it totally allows you to gather context that um, you might not always see right away. Uh, and so, yeah, sitting with them, right? If that's a possibility, that's that's the best case, right? If you have the time and the opportunity to do that, there is no better way to truly learn about somebody's process in that way. Uh, but a lot of times, even when you get to those, there is sometimes where it's a process that's relatively new. It's not very defined. 
and those are the tough ones really to crack because no matter how many times you put it through a digital solution or whatever that looks like, sometimes, especially if the process doesn't exist and we're trying to create a new one as well as digitize it, that problem can be really difficult. And we kind of solve that in two different ways. And it's really the same thing. It's prototyping. And that can look at two different types. The first one is prototyping it out on paper, right? So a lot of times when somebody comes up and is dreaming up this big idea that needs a technical solution, but can be tested out on paper first, right? Paper forms, whatever that looks like, that's the easiest way. It's the least um, amount of capital and allows us to prove that idea. So a lot of times we'll challenge those stakeholders and say, hey, guys, can you right, uh, just try out this material ordering process, for example, have them fill out this information, bring it back to purchasing. Let's do it the old way. Let's see what that looks like. And then we can look at the pain points of that process. Well, if that process didn't exist in the first place, there's no way we can kind of learn from it. So that's kind of the first way is kind of prototyping on paper. Now, a lot of times that is pretty painful. And a lot of times setting that up isn't super useful, which is when you get into technical prototyping. So that's using whatever tool you're using, whatever software you're utilizing and coming up with, hey, we know we don't have the full requirements here's where we're going to check in, right? This is what we have so far. Let's create what we have. Let's see what it looks like, beta test it, whatever that ends up looking like, and let's continue on. So those are those check-ins with uh, the stakeholders that you're talking about in terms of it's almost impossible to get all the requirements straight up. It's, it's <laughs> It is. Sorry, not almost impossible. It is uh, in terms of a lot of times it comes down to use right now you try to get as far down the road as you can because that's the less pain that you'll get um, and especially for big ticket decisions right you don't want to be adding in a new department three quarters of the way through the process and then redesigning the whole solution that's when you're going to get a lot of those rework and delays but capturing the idea of the solution the individuals that are involved in the basic workflow and then knowing you're going to have to iron out those details later but if that's part of the solution design a lot of times that's not as painful as thinking you have the full solution going in there and then all of a sudden you get hit with you know seven or eight new features that were never even dreamed of um when we were going about it. No, so no one mentioned them at all up until that point. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So and, what do you, what is your sprint cycle like and what, what are those, uh, how, how, how often are you having the sprint cycles and what do you do with them? Are you checking in with a customer at each sprint cycle? Sure. Yeah. So um, it, it really depends on, on the, as I said, how, full that requirements process was able to how much we were able to vet out right if it if we really do feel really comfortable on it we know what their vision is etc we might not check in until we have you know a minimum at least a viable product um, that's a little bit further down the road other times it's if we end up with hey we're not really sure what this looks like I think we have an idea of the vision. Let me go and try to um, create something for that. That's where that minimum viable product comes in in terms of, hey, the second we have someone to show you, we're going to get in front of you and we're going to make sure we're validating what that looks like. Hey, is this really your vision? Is this really your vision? Because um, again, you can talk to someone in a room, you can sit with them, you can do all these different things that really does help you get towards that. But um, a lot of times for these big overarching solutions, prototyping and beta testing is really going to be your biggest uh, learning point, especially when you have uh, 
like geographical issues in terms of, right, you have like seven or eight different, um, same thing, right? You have different jobs out in the field, but they all do a little bit different things. It's almost impossible to go out and really live each of those different solutions, right? That would take just as long as it is to get the idea, get the general requirements, go in there and build some of it, and then go back out and make sure that that's um, actually testing it out in the field. So again, depends on the situation. Uh, and really, you're going to have to read your stakeholders, read your confidence uh, level in those requirements when you're gathering that uh, before deciding uh, how frequent and how often those prototyping need to happen. So the message there and the takeaway is requirements gathering doesn't necessarily end. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, Josh, just to reiterate some stuff, I know we're kind of, we're wrapping up here, but um, the, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't end because we're constantly making small, you know, small adjustments, uh, you know, throughout, you know, the sprint cycles and uh, the varying degrees of stuff that we have. But, um, and I know one of some of the other topics we're going to talk about later, but, I mentioned in the beginning of the of the call or of this podcast was like, hey, we were trying to uh, approach our gatherments requiring from a, like a systematic, scalable way. Um, and as you can hear, um, there is there are a lot of nuance in gathering requirements uh, because the degree of difficulty, the impact, the the effort that we talked about, right? Um, the, the risk, the frequency, uh, all of those things. So we don't have a systematic way of gathering requirements other than we have really good people like Nate, whose responsibility it is to do that thing. And you got really good at it. Now Nate is navigating all the gray area, all the nuance, right? So uh, yeah, it's not a checklist. Um, it, it's, it's, we're asking, you know, human beings to, to be the one to navigate this gray area. And we can get into other topics later on, like other podcasts about like the, um, the type of people that we look at uh, for our team on Corbin's Electric, you know, that work for Nate on the Knox team um, on, on their background and their experience uh, to add to the team um, to, to do just that, because it's, it's, it's a little teaser it's not as straightforward as hiring a, a, a developer per se, right? It's not because we need somebody to navigate this gray area and not, you know, not follow a, a wireframe. So anyway, that would be more topics later on, right? 100%. All right. In parting, um, if there's one, we've talked for the last hour on this subject. It's so important for anybody listening that you get this right so that you don't have to build things three times and also so that people use them. Um, they get adopted, which is another topic later on. But what's the one piece of advice from either one of you guys uh, on the topic of requirements gathering that you would leave uh, any listeners who are interested in the topic? Uh, the, main, the number one thing I say is uh, don't be discouraged by your failures. Just don't make the same mistake more than once. Okay, Learn <laughs> from your mistake. Okay, awesome. don't, don't let that discourage you. It's, this is a process you're going to learn. Don't let that discourage you. Just don't make the same mistake twice. That's all. What do you think, Nate? Um, I I think Josh kind of hit it on the on the head there in terms of the 
really navigating the gray area is going to seem really daunting at first, uh, but those patterns will quickly start to emerge in terms of when to use what tactics, when to really dive deep and when not to. Uh, it's really a practice thing, um, but by utilizing a couple of those uh, different you know, practices and stuff, you'll find that even the people you work with will start to learn what that looks like. And that's really when it gets cool. When we've worked with a stakeholder that um, has already been through this process once or twice. I mean, it goes from six meetings to one meeting and we're able to get in there and they're like, hey, I've already thought about the downstream, the upstream. I know you're going to talk about growth and scalability. I know you're going to talk about this one, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, shit, why am I here, right? So um, that's going to be the really cool part. Um, you'll learn that as well as the people involved and it will honestly make your, your company uh, that much more uh, of that continuous improvement and be able to pivot whether that's process or business decision wise really helps you think about problems in a different way, which is exciting. And I know you guys do this like Jeff and Josh, you guys, do, you guys help, you know, customers through this process. Um, we do this also through Knox innovations, like help customers through this process. We may not do it for them. Um, but we certainly don't want to have to have people, create the same mistakes that we did. So we can help that. This is all about our, our, our big overarching strategy, like our purpose uh, as Corbin's Electric, like uh, change in the construction industry. We want to help other contractors or really anybody um, to get better at this. This is, this is going to be the thing that helps people um, move, move their business forward. So anyway, we're, awesome. we're available, you know, and they can reach out to you and they can reach out to us and we'll be gladly have uh, more conversations on this. Yeah, you guys can find us on the internet, um, <laughs> Knox Innovations, Corbin's Electric, uh, Hexagon Exalt. Uh, but uh, I think that's a good place to wrap. So first of all, thank you. And and by the way, that's, I was going to say, when, when Jeff and I were talking the other day, our fundamental identity here at Exalt is problem solvers. It's not technologists, it's problem solvers. That's, that's what we're passionate about too. So it, it, it lines up really nicely. Um, so I think we'll wrap there. Thank you, JD. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Jeff, for being on. Um, everybody, if you want to find this podcast, which I think you already did, you can find more on hxgnspotlight.com or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But thank you very much for your time and attention, and uh, we'll see you next time.